So this morning we're going to continue on in kind of this series that we've been going through the last few weeks. We're going to be talking about basically reaching people for Jesus. And we've talked about, we, we looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago, we began to look at the reality that Jesus loves people and, and that uh, uh, we have a responsibility to share the gospel. So two weeks ago, we looked at what exactly is the gospel? Because as you know, if you're going to share something, you should probably know what it is. And then after that, we looked at, you know, how, how do, what is our responsibility in sharing the gospel? And as we look through the scripture, we realize it is our responsibility to share the gospel with others. And the reality is, is if we don't share the gospel with others, how are they going to hear about the love of Jesus Christ? If we're not going to say something to somebody, how are they going to know? And if they don't hear, they don't have the opportunity to respond. And then today, as we continue on in this series of reaching people for Jesus, what I really want to take a look at is is the value of the harvest. This is what Jesus said in Luke 10 to. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to know right now, the scripture says that the the harvest is plentiful. And I know this can seem kind of weird to us. It can seem kind of odd because so many times it seems like people don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. They don't want anything to do with God. And, And you're like, how can it be plentiful when I try to share with people what they push back against me? Some of them outright reject me. Most of them just kind of smile and nod complacently, but none of them really want to hear about Jesus. And I, I wonder, how can the harvest be plentiful when nobody wants to hear? Well, there's two things that I know. One is plentiful because Jesus says it is. That's, that's enough for me. But the reality is, is, I think back in my life and before I got saved, before I was willing to listen, I was in that same camp. I looked, I didn't want to hear about Jesus. I didn't want to hear about God. I didn't want you to talk to me about that stuff. Really, I was worried about God encroaching in on my life, which I had already had planned out. But if somebody wouldn't have taken the time to, to, to look at me and say, you know what, you're, even though you don't want anything to do with me, even though you don't want to hear anything about Jesus, you're valuable enough for me to continue to try to share the gospel with you. And I think that that's what we need to take to heart as we're looking at the the people around us. We see the people that are living in this city. We need to understand that they have value in the sight of God. And if we understood how valuable that they were, then maybe we would go out of our way to share the gospel with us, with them. One of the things I think about is, is if your house were to be burning down right now, what would be the things that were going through your mind? If your house were burning down, you'd begin to think of things that have value. Some people, some of us guys probably would be thinking about the big screen TV. There goes the TV. It's gone. Up in smoke. But really, most of us would be thinking about the stuff that we can't replace, the stuff that is so valuable that it can't be, it's irreplaceable. We'd be thinking about our pictures. We'd be thinking about our memories. We'd be thinking about those things that can't be replaced because those have value in our life. The stuff that we wouldn't care about it's the paper plates in the cupboard. Those are cheap. Those are easy to replace. They really have no value. You know, nobody's going to care that the junk mail got burned up. We don't have any reason to think about that because they have no value in our lives. There's something that's happening in the world today of business right now that, 
businesses are beginning to realize that they can't run their businesses without thinking about their customer, without valuing what the customers want, what the customers need. They're beginning to understand that, that they have to recognize that customers do have a value, and that really the only reason for their existence is these very customers that they're serving. We're getting to a point where they have to make them a priority or they're not going to succeed in today's society. If they don't make their customers a priority, if they don't listen to what they have to say, if they don't care about what's going on in their lives, these businesses will never succeed. Particularly in a society today where where with all the different social media and Yelp and all those things where a bad review can derail how well your business will do because people care about what other people think about your business. The thing is, is as a church, I think we need to start realizing this as well. So many times, we think that, we have to remember that we're not just here for ourselves. We're here for a purpose. We're here to serve the people in this community. We need to recognize that the church is not here to serve the church, but it's to serve the lost of this city, those who don't know Jesus. And the reality is is that Jesus has commanded us to go out and make disciples, to go out and make to tell people about Jesus. He hasn't demanded that we make programs. I heard somebody say the other day that if Jesus were to come back today, and if you were to walk into our building we would probably have to teach Jesus a lot about what we call church today. Because some of the things that we care about are so important, I don't think are important in the scheme of things, particularly if your motives are in the wrong direction. You know, we can have the greatest programs in the world, but if the purpose of those programs is not reach the lost, then there's no point in them. The whole purpose of every program, everything that we do is to reach the lost, even the way that we set up the church, the way we do lights, the the music and the stuff is to make it easier for people to come in and receive the gospel. The point is, is that everything that we do is outward focused. We're not here to just serve ourselves and we have to make reaching people our priority and this is not just corporately as a church we need to make this our priority as well we need to continue doing things like the fall fest we have get out in the community let people see who we are take the opportunity to share the gospel when we can as a church but the reality is is that we need to think about this individually as well how many of you guys know that it's not just the pastor's job to tell people about jesus It is every single one of our jobs to tell people we are all preachers. We should be preaching to ourselves. We should be preaching to our friends and to our neighbors. But I think the only real value, the only real way to change this, the way we think about this stuff, and to really convince us to get out there and do these things is to recognize the real value of the people that we are trying to reach. I want to ask you guys, Have you guys spent just as much time speaking to strangers, speaking to those that you don't know, praying for those that you don't know to receive Jesus as you have, praying for your family to receive Jesus? Most of us have spent an exorbitant amount of time praying for those of our families that don't know Jesus or our friends. We pray that they would receive Jesus and we take the opportunities when we can to share Jesus with them. But the, the question is, why don't we spend that same amount of fervor, that same amount of time and energy investing in everybody who doesn't know Jesus? Because the reality is, is they are just as valuable as each and every one of us in this room. But the truth is, is that evangelizing and making the lost a priority is not always easy. Sometimes it's super difficult. 
particularly today when we have so much stuff going on, we're so busy, we're so distracted. And if you think about the stuff that you spend your time on, it's because it's valuable to you. I think the first step to overcoming this kind of hitch that we have to getting out there and speaking to people is to realize that it's, that it's worth it. Recognize their value. There was a, once a man standing at a, at a urinal, and he's using the restroom, and a $5 bill fell out of his pocket into the urinal. And the guy next to him was wondering what he was going to do. So the guy that, that dropped the $5 bill, he pulled the 50 out of his wallet, and he threw it into the urinal as well. And the other guy said, what are you doing? Why did you just throw that 50 in the urinal? He's like, well, I'm not sticking my hand in there for $5. If we understood the worth, the value of people, if they were more valuable to us, then we would be willing to do more for them. Amen? If we understood the value of those people that are out there, the, the hurting, the lost, the broken, the misunderstood, the downtrodden, even the unsavory, people that, that in the back of our minds we wouldn't even want to be caught seen standing next to, if we understood their value, then we'd be willing to do whatever it took to bring them home. We'd be willing to pray for them like we would pray for our family. We'd be willing to get up, give up a Saturday morning to share the gospel with others instead of sit at home and watch TV if we understood their value. And that's what I want to talk about today is the value of the harvest. In Luke 15, 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now today we're going to look at a few uh, stories that happened in Luke chapter 15. And it's going to begin with this. This is the start of it. Jesus is meeting with, with tax collectors. He's meeting with sinners. And I still get cracks every time I read it. I can't believe that they thought tax collectors were the worst people in the world. I mean, they were like, there was like sinners, and then underneath them was the tax. They hated tax collectors. I mean, you think you hate the IRS. You ain't got nothing on the way these people felt about tax collectors back then. And anyway, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling about who Jesus is taking an interest in because the Pharisees had already decided that these people were not valuable. They've already decided that why would God want these sinners? Why would God want these tax collectors? And Jesus, in the start of, of uh, uh, Luke chapter 15, is hanging out with these people, the people that, that nobody wanted to be around. They were unlovely. As far as they were concerned, they were unlovable. They didn't care about them at all. And Jesus begins to hear these Pharisees, these scribes, grumbling about who he's meeting with. And so after the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about some parables that kind of describe how God feels about these people, about the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep and then the lost coin. And finally, the parable of the prodigal son is what we're going to, to look at. And first, he is he's encouraging these sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is meeting with them. He's encouraging them and wants them to know that, yes, you are valuable. God does care about you, even if you've done some dumb stuff in your life, even if you've made some awful, horrific mistakes, even if right now you're leaving, doing some stupid stuff, God still loves you and he wants more for you. But I also think Jesus wanted the Pharisees and the scribes to get it through their thick skulls that God values these people. I think sometimes we have to get that through our head as well. We have to understand how much God actually values these people. And as far as the sinners and tax collectors, they definitely weren't perfect in and of themselves. And they, they, they did not follow the Jewish law. They may not even have known the Jewish law. 
But God still cared about them and He still loved them. And I think it's very easy for Christians as we sit in here in our churches and, and on Sunday morning when everybody looks right, everybody's doing the right thing. Typically, you don't have a whole lot of sin going on on, on Sunday morning. We sit up here in our churches and we look out and we're like, oh, those people doing that. So, you know, they're not even on church. On, and we begin to make judgment calls. We begin to devalue who they are. But Jesus cares about those people. Jesus had a very different view of those who were considered unsavory, those who were considered unwanted. And he didn't try to shy away from them. He didn't quickly look away as to not meet their gaze. Has anybody ever been driving down the road and there'll be a homeless person on the side of the road? And uh, instead of looking at them, you kind of, you find something else to do in your car. You start playing with your radio, start messing with your, anybody ever, just me? I'm the only one that does that. I've done that from time to time. And I actually feel pretty awful about it because somehow in our head we're thinking, oh, if they don't see us, then they won't ask us for money. But we don't even give them the dignity of being a person. They're going through some rough times, and many of them may even deserve to be there. They may have made choices on their own. That doesn't mean God loves them any less, and as sure as heck doesn't mean we should love them any less, because the truth is, if we look at our own lives, we don't deserve to be where we're at right now. And Jesus, never for one minute, by meeting with these people, by showing them value, by showing them dignity, he never for one moment approved of the sinful life that they were living. Matter of fact, you'll see Jesus over and over as he comes to people with grace and welcome, like the woman caught with adult, in adultery. It's obviously that she was caught in sin. But what did he tell her? Go and sin no more. He didn't say it was okay for the life that you were living. He didn't say what you're doing was okay. He told her to go and sin no more, but he still showed her love and compassion, and he welcomed her. The truth is, is that we're called to be Christians. You guys know where that, that name comes from? It simply means little Christ. How can we take on that name if we're not going to live like him, if we're not going to act like him? Amen? In Matthew 9, 9 through 13, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is an interesting story because Jesus just called a tax collector, who I told you is at this point the worst of the worst as far as the Jewish people were concerned. I mean, to call a tax collector to be his disciple really had to get under the skin of the religious folks. You know, it's one of the things we belong to, in, to a fellowship of churches called Praise Chapel. And they started in California, and most of their members, and truth be told, almost all the pastors that have been planted out are ex-gangbangers. Ex I mean, these people were criminals and had all kinds of varied pasts. And even some of us in this room don't have the brightest pasts. But that doesn't mean that we can't serve him. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us. And it doesn't mean that we're not worthy to serve in his kingdom. But this really had to get under the skin of the religious folks. They're looking saying, how could you be inviting this kind of person into your home? How can you be inviting this kind of person? Don't you know who he is? Don't you know what he's done? 
Matter of fact, that's probably the same argument we have with ourselves sometimes when we think about how can God love me? Doesn't he know what I've done? Doesn't he know the things and the way that I've lived? But Jesus gets with these guys. And what I love about this story is first he starts off with Matthew. And then next thing you know, he's reclining at a table with many, many tax collectors. You know what happened here is, is as soon as Matthew saw Jesus, as soon as Matthew decided to follow him, he began to tell his friends, come on over, see who's with me. How many of us have done that? Or we recognize what Jesus has done in our lives. Are we all telling our friends, come check this out. Come hear about Jesus who loves me and he loves you. But the reality is, some of the greatest men of God have had super troubled pasts. I mean, Joseph was a prisoner. He was a slave. He was accused. Obviously, he didn't do these things, but he was accused of, of rape. David and Moses were both murderers. There was no accusation there. They actually did it. They were both murderers. Billy Hall, one of the guys from Praise Chapel who's working in Ethiopia, and he's planted dozens and dozens of churches out there. He was in prison when he got saved. Radically saved. God touched his life, and now he's planting churches. Loves the Lord more than most people that I know. Pastor Kelly Lorke is also a Praise Chapel. He has a, a church in Kansas. Matter of fact, they just got done. They do a, a, a hell house every year and uh, goes on for a few nights. And I think they had, uh, before the last night, I don't know what the final total was, but before the last, 2,200 people got saved after going through the hell house. Well, there's, if you ever knew his story, he used to be a punker. He was into drugs Really, if, if, you, if you read his, his, his uh, he has a book called uh, Punker to Pastor. And I think you can find it on Amazon. But it's, uh, it's an amazing story of how God moved in his life. But suffice it to say, not a great person. But God now has turned his life around. He's planted churches and thousands upon thousands of people have come to know the Lord because he had his life changed by Jesus. You know, we never know when we go out and minister into the world who we're talking to and what kind of impact that we might have. You know, the first person that began to tell me about Jesus, I don't even, I can't even remember their name. But I wonder if they knew that one day I would be a pastor and that the impact that they're having is greater than they could ever imagine. The truth is, is that when we reach people, we never know the impact that we can make. The reality is that Jesus now reclines with us. Someone saw through the bad in our lives and he recognized, they recognized the value that we had and they told us about Jesus. Somebody was willing to, to face the potential persecution, face the potential of, of, of us laughing at them or thinking they were crazy. Somebody was willing to face all that to tell us about Jesus. And I, for one, am so thankful for every person that took that step and told me because many times I rejected them, many times I ignored them. But finally, I said yes. And it's because those people that had the courage to talk to me. And I'm so thankful. 
Jesus grabs this meal with Matthew, meets with a bunch more tax collectors, and at this point, he's really adding insult to injury, too. Can you imagine the Pharisees and scribes just getting upset with what's going on? But the reality is, is what he was doing was sending out a beacon of hope to all those who were watching, because they had been told by the religious leaders of their time that they weren't valuable, either outright said or by their actions, they were shown that you're not valuable, you're not worth anything. But Jesus came and says, no, not only do I say you're valuable, I'm going to show you something different. You see, the Pharisees knew what it took to live righteously, and they had it all figured out. They didn't need Jesus, but these people did, the sinners and the tax collectors. They needed him. They needed something else. The reason Jesus reached out to these people is because the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they all had all, all figured out. They weren't willing to hear Jesus, but these other they were looking for something more. And Jesus came to call these sinners to repentance. He didn't call to leave them where they were at. You've all heard the expression that Jesus loves people enough to meet them where they're at, but he loves them enough to to not leave them there as well. So Jesus met with these folks because they needed Jesus. He said those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus met them to minister unto their life, show them that they were valuable. And his sole purpose was to make righteous those who could not do it by themselves. And just a little secret, that's all of us. None of us can do it by ourselves. We need him. And that means that even the worst of the worst are valuable to Jesus. Not just people who do good. Not just people who look good. Not just people who dress nice. Everybody is valuable to Jesus. Then in Luke 13, 6 through 9, he says, And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none and he said to the vine dresser look for three years now i've come seeking fruit on this tree and i find none cut it down why should it use up the ground and he answered him sir let it alone this year also until i dig around it and put on manure then if it should bear fruit next year well and good but if not you can cut it down so as we talk about valuing the harvest and talking about those people that that we should value there is a reality is that some of them just won't care so what do we do about those people that just won't care that that won't have anything to do with that just won't listen and it's true that we might have people in our lives that are just like this who we've tried to share with we've tried to live an example for we've might to make make tried to make a difference but they they won't hear they won't have anything to do with us. One, I would encourage you not to give up. In this story, the vine dresser, he argues for more time. See, the truth is, there is a, there is a time when the, when the tree gets cut down. And we have until we take our very last breath to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But the vine dresser here is, is, is begging for more time. Don't just cut it down now. Even though for three years he's been investing in this tree, for three years he's let it grow and it's never produced any fruit. It's never happening. And we need to do the same thing because if we give up, if we don't continue praying for somebody, if we don't continue taking the opportunity, and I'm not talking about beating them over the head with a Bible. Almost nobody gets saved by getting hit over the head with a Bible. But instead, by showing them love, by showing them compassion, by showing them grace, by living your life as, as an example of who Jesus Christ is, we can make a difference. And we mustn't give up on people because what if we had been given up on? I can tell you for me, it was 20 years before I first heard the gospel. 
before I began to live for Jesus? What if somebody had given up on me? And I realized that we're not to throw our pearls before swine. And what that basically means, if somebody's rejecting you outright, they're cussing at you, they're attempting to... If they're, if they're just flat out, there's no point in continuing to try to debate with these people. But it doesn't mean that they're not valued still. Even people that want to reject vehemently doesn't mean that they're a lost cause. We should continue to pray for them. Take a page from this vine dresser's book and say, let's give it another year. For three long years, this vine dresser has watered the trees, made sure it had enough sunlight, it had, had enough fertilizer, but nothing was happening. But he doesn't stop there. He actually then begins to go the extra mile. He digs a trench around this tree and he pours in manure for even more fertilizer. See, some of y'all need to, to recognize that when the pastor dumps poop on you, what he's trying to do, trying to make a difference. But he puts the manure down and he says, let's go the extra mile. And for us, that means to continue to pray, continue to show love, to never give up. Because if we will do that, we'll finally be able to make an impact in so many people's lives. I look around me and I see people, I see people that I never gave up, even in this room, people I never gave up on. I continue to pray for them. I continue to, to have hope for them and their lives are changing around and they're, they're coming into serving Jesus and I'm so excited about that. And in Luke 19, 5-10, he says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Never underestimate the impact you can have on somebody's life if you will just show them that they are valuable and show them how valuable they are to Jesus. This man here, Zacchaeus, his name means righteousness, a righteous one. And it's interesting because he's a tax collector. Like I said, everybody hated him. And the problem with tax collectors is this. The Jews especially didn't like tax collectors because not, not just because they were collecting money from them, but because they were collecting money from them for the Gentiles. And the worst part is, is most of these people, the reason why most tax collectors were rich is because they would take a little bit more than was required and they would skim off the top. And the more they collected, the greater their income was. So that was a pretty good incentive. If you keep collecting, you keep skimming off the top, you make more and more money. And Zacchaeus, righteous one, was definitely not living up to his name. However, in spite of this, Jesus was seeking him out. Jesus called out to him. He was up on the tree. He says, hurry up, come down. I must stay at your house. Jesus was looking for him. He still saw value in him, despite of what he was doing, the life that he was living. Because the value of a person is never defined by their actions. I want you to hear me in that. The value of a person is never defined by their actions. The value of a person is defined by what someone or something was willing to pay for them. That's how we determine the value of a house, right? It's what somebody is willing to pay for it. The reality is, is that that's how our value was determined. And Jesus was willing to pay everything for us. Our value is so much greater than we can ever imagine because Jesus set the value of us. And Jesus very fulfilled, very much fulfilled 
that in this, 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 this instance with this man, he showed him how valuable he was. Jesus sought him out. In Revelation 3.20, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. I mean, it's almost exactly what happened with Zacchaeus. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will let me in. So Zacchaeus let him in. And the great part about this story is Zacchaeus didn't stay the way that he was. He didn't stay like he, he was when Jesus found him. Zacchaeus was a changed man in this story. His life was completely turned around by his encounter with Jesus. And he even offered the highest form of repayment as a thief under Mosaic law. So here's the thing. In Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed his crime, he had to restore what he took plus add one-fifth of it and bring a trespass offering to the Lord. You can read about that in Leviticus 6, 1 through 7. If he stole something and could not restore it, he had to repay fourfold, and that's Exodus 22.1. And if he was caught with the goods, he had to repay double, Exodus 22.4. Zacchaeus didn't quibble over the terms of the law. He knew he had made a mistake, and he offered up right here. If I have defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. He offered up the requirement of a thief because he was a radically changed man. See, so many people that, that give their lives to Jesus in a lukewarm manner, we begin to say, what can I still do? What can I still get away with? What am I allowed to still do? Because there's a, uh, we haven't been radically changed in such a way where we don't even quarrel about that stuff. We want to give everything that we have. We don't think about what's the littlest amount we can do. We begin to think about what's the greatest amount that we can do for the kingdom. And that's what happened with Zacchaeus. He was a changed man. He was touched by a God that loved him so much he was about to give up everything for him. And when you recognize that kind of love, the kind of love that we should be sharing with everybody in this, in this city, it changes you on the inside. Luke 15, 3-7, as we continue that story in Luke that I talked about, it says, so he told them this parable. Remember we started that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, were complaining and grumbling that he was meeting with the, the sinners and tax collectors. So he says, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." I love that Jesus is always practical when he's teaching stuff. The thing about the Bible is, is many people go around talking about how God works in mysterious ways, but I would argue that he doesn't really. We can know what his will is by looking at what Jesus did. We can, God has written the Bible in such a way that even uh, people with, with minimal education can understand it. Matter of fact, you're probably better off if you have a minimal education, because too many of us try to out-logic what's going on. We're trying to figure out, it can't be this easy. It can't be a free gift. of that. It can't be that simple. There's got to be more to it. But Jesus is always practical. He's like, listen, guys, you guys are all upset that I'm hanging out with the, the sinners and the tax collectors, and uh, I just want you to know that, that how many of you, if you lost one sheep, would not go out and search for it and hunt it down? It's like the kingdom of heaven is like this. Why would I not go out to hunt down that one sheep, the one that was lost, the one that was gone? Why would I not take the time to go wherever was necessary to find that one? 
See, the gospel is not complicated. It's a simple story of love and what God was willing to do for us. And first we see that even though there are many others, each and every one is important enough to go out and reach, to go out and meet. And he says, when they find the one, even though they still have the 99, he says, when they find the one, they rejoice for the sheep that was lost. I want you to know that when you got saved, there was rejoicing in heaven at that moment. Because you were valuable, that you were important. Even though God had others, you were still valuable. And God loves us so much. Every single one of us is so important. And every single one of us is worth setting something aside to go hunting down. That's the reason why it's important that we reach out into the community as a church and individually because they're valuable. And we need to begin to see people the way that God sees people. We need to begin to have eyes like his and a heart like his to overcome whatever obstacles we've constructed in our way that says that we can't share the gospel with others. Let's look at people the way God does. And he continues on in verse 8. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, the the thing about the gospel is, is Jesus wants to make it super simple because just in case we're like, Sheep. I never had a sheep in my entire life. What the heck are you talking about, Pastor Wayne? Every single one of us have had money. Let's talk about something we can all relate to. And has anybody ever had some money they knew that they had and they lost it? I have torn up my house for $20. I have made a mess looking. And then when you find that, have you ever like taken an old sweater out of your closet that you haven't had forever? And you put that sweater on and you reach in the pocket and you find a $20 bill? It's like it's your birthday. You're like, I'm going Sizzler, I'm going Sizzler. You find stuff and you get excited about it. Man, I've had, I, so many times when I pull old stuff out, find that money, I find that. And this is basically what's happening here. It says, what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one? You know, we can argue, why is she so upset? She's got nine more. Because the one's important. And that's why it's important that we go out into the world and do the same thing. Every single one is important. It doesn't matter how many people that are in this room, every single individual person out there is still important. We're never going to reach a point where we say, church, we have enough. We have enough people. We're just going to go ahead and stop. We're just going to ride the wave out to the end. I'm sure God will be happy with us because we've got this many. The truth is, is we're not here for that. We're here to reach. And every single one is important, no matter how many that we have. In Luke 15, 17 through 24, we're going to start looking into the story of the prodigal son. And I, I love this story. It's such an amazing story. But in verse 17, it says, When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned 
against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I love how Jesus keeps going. Like, all right, if you still don't get the money thing, let me give you another story just so you can really understand what's going on. And what we have is we have a son that's pretty much acting like a selfish jerk. He's probably acting like I did when I was a kid. And basically what he's saying is, Dad, whatever you said you have for me, my inheritance, I want it now. I want to go spend it. I want to go do live my own life. And he heads out. He gets his father says, fine, gives him the inheritance. He heads out and surprise, surprise, he loses everything. And it gets to the point where it's so bad that he's feeding slop to the pigs. And he says, oh, that I could eat with the pigs. And that's where this, this story starts out. Is he's, he's feeding the pigs thinking, man, if I could just have what the pigs were having, I'd be doing okay. And he comes to himself and says, you know what? I've sinned against my, my father, but how many of my father's hired servants have more than me? I'm going to go work for my father. And it doesn't end there. He, he recognizes that mistake. I love how this guy doesn't end his story being at the low of lows. You know, there's plenty of times in all of our lives that we've all been at the lowest of lows. We've been at, at awful places in our lives. And the good news is it doesn't have to stay like that. It doesn't have to end like that. We can still come home if we make a decision. And we learn here that when we do come home, it's not like, Jesus is going to shun his nose at us. He's not going to say, now nah, you done messed up. You went too far. If you would have just came home a week earlier, we'd be okay. But instead, it says that when he came home, the, the, his, his dad grabbed him and he puts him in the finest robe and he cleans him up and he says, go get the, the fattest calves. He puts a robe on him, a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, brings a fattened calf and they kill it and they celebrate for his son coming home. You know, we begin to realize that as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned, it doesn't matter the things that you've done. It doesn't matter your failures, your mistakes, how low that you've fallen. As soon as you decide to come home, there is rejoicing. There is, like we saw, rejoicing in heaven. And God welcomes you with open arms. And not only does he welcome you with open arms, he doesn't do like the son expected, that maybe he'll let me come home, but he's going to make me a hired servant. He's going to be, make me less than I was before. But God doesn't do that with us. Even when we fall away, even if we, we've messed up, when we come home, he restores us to the place that we were. He restores us to the life that he has for us. And he doesn't keep us cast down and pushed down. You see, from the outside looking in, the son might be the, the one that's least worthy of the father's love. But the reality is, is when the son, when the father saw the son coming home, he hiked up his, his, his robe and he ran to his son. And to understand in that culture, for a Jewish man to begin to run was very undignified. And it was a great uh, a show of love that he would be willing to do that and run towards his son and restore him to where he was. And I want you to know in this story, if you haven't figured it out yet, God is the father. When we come home, he runs to us as we are running to him and he restores us to the place of honor that we have because we have Jesus inside of us, the place of honor that his son holds. We're restored to that position. 
But the one thing that we can think about when we look at this is like, why does God show so much love and favoritism to those who, are, who are, aren't saved? What about us who are saved? What about us who, who have already done it? And that's basically the attitude that the, the son had, the older son, in verse 25. Through 32, we're going to read it. It says, His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And he answered his father, Look at these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, the, the story of the prodigal son really could have ended where we were, that the son came home, he was welcomed with open arms. But I think Jesus really wanted the, the Pharisees and the scribes to grab a hold of this. He, not only to grab a hold of the idea that they are welcomed home, but he wanted to nip something else in the butt. Some misunderstanding, probably some whining, because that's actually what's going on with this. The Pharisees are upset that Jesus would be spending time with these sinners and tax collectors when, you know, they're the ones worthy. They're the ones doing everything right, at least so they think. You see, in this story, the other brother is actually religious people. And I think as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't fall into that camp as well, that we don't fall into the camp of religious people because it's very easy for religious people to get a little jealous when you begin to see God's value that he has placed in others, especially in those who we can look at and from an earthly perspective think that they have no value, that we can think that they're worthless. And it's very easy to think that why does God love these undesirables more than he loves us? But Jesus made it very clear, this, what you're concerned about, son, what you're concerned about was yours all along. What you're concerned about them receiving, you've had it this entire time. And never let our complacency or our lack of movement in Jesus skew our view of what he's doing in others. Sometimes we need to get up and take hold of what is already ours in Jesus Christ. Instead of, letting it, instead of being complacent and letting it just slide by the wayside, we need to grab hold of our promises, grab hold of what he's done for us, but it should never devalue what he's done for others. Because the same thing that he's accomplishing in others is, is available to us as well. And then finally we're going to end here today in Luke 15, oops, sorry, this is the end of that last one. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead. He is alive and he was lost and is found. For he says that everything that they already had was already the son's. And we'll end here in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. One of the things that I think we need to understand as a church is that the harvest is our greatest treasure. You know, there's going to be a day when we, we will die, we will pass away. Every single one of us are going to die. And the only thing that we can take with us are the lives that we've touched. Other souls that are going to make it in because we've made an impact in our lives. And the truth is, is that every soul is valuable. And every soul saved will be credited to your account. 
our finances, our comfort, the things that we have on this earth are really truthfully fleeting and temporary. If you think about our lives right now in the grand scheme of eternity, this is such a, a blip that it's not even to, almost to be noticed. Such a short time that we live here. But we have to realize what our true treasure is. And I think the only way to realize that is to understand the value of the harvest, of the value of the people that live here in this city, the value of the people that God sent his son to die for. Not just us in this room, but everyone. And even if it means we have to give up a little comfort here on earth, even if it means that we have to feel uncomfortable talking to people to overcome some fear or overcome some embarrassment, even if it means that we have to give up a Saturday morning to go around and knock on doors and just share Jesus with people, then we should do it because they're worth it. They are valuable enough. Even if it means we have to look people in the eye and interact with people that we never thought that we would, we should do it because they are valuable enough. Let's keep our eyes on what truly is valuable. You know, one of the things that's we've been talking about in this church for a long time is, is growing this church because we do want to have an impact. We, we want to see the church grow, not to stroke our egos, but instead to, to have a greater impact in this city. And the only way that we're going to do that, to get out of this mode where we're just big enough to kind of take care of ourselves, but where we have a little more resources and people to reach in this community more effectively, the only way we're going to do that is if we grow. And that means that all of us are going to have to overcome some fear. We're going to have to overcome some nervousness, some shyness, and begin to share the gospel with others. And I want you to know, church, the reality is, is this isn't a good suggestion. This isn't a, a, a I hope you'll do it. The reality is, is that Jesus commanded us to go into the world and make disciples. He didn't command just Pastor Wayne. He commanded all of us in this room to share the gospel, to make an impact on others. And if we want to be successful in this city, if we want to reach people the way that we've dreamed and the way that we've visioned, it's going to require us stepping out in faith and being a little uncomfortable. But I believe that if we do that, we're going to see this church grow. We're going to see our resources grow. And exponentially, we're going to be able to reach the people in this community who are lost, who need Jesus more than anything else. If it helps, think back to your life before you knew Jesus and where you were and what you were looking for. And what he has done in your life since then, these people need that just as much as every one of us in this room. And I, for one, want to be used by God to reach them. So church, I hope you're challenged this morning, that you are, are convicted to actually spend more time. I know that I am. Every time I, I read this stuff and I, I, I go through this stuff, I'm, I'm convicted every time. Can I be doing more? Can I be sharing with more? Because the truth is, is it's... There's, they only have so much time to say yes. And one of the things that I keep thinking about more and more was about what that magician said. I, what is his name? I've said it before here. Um, yeah, Penn and Teller. I think Teller, the big one, or Penn, whatever one the big one is, about that time that he, he, he received that Bible from a guy after a show, and Penn is a, a devout atheist, and, but he came in and he, he said on TV or on a YouTube uh, recording, he said, you know, this guy came up to me and he handed me this Bible. And it's, it says in the Bible, he wrote, you know, God loves you and has a plan for your life or something to that effect. And he stood up there and he says, you know what? I don't believe in God. I know there's no God. He's wrong, but that's what he believes. 
He says, but I respect what this man does because he believes there's a God and he believes that if I don't receive Jesus, that I'm going to hell. And he looked and he looked at all of us that were watching and he said, if that's what you really believe, that you believe that if if somebody doesn't receive Jesus, that they're going to hell, what kind of a person do you have to be to not tell them about Jesus Christ? If that's what we believe, what kind of people do we have to be to hold it inside? Let's share that with others. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, just bow our heads.